Welcome back, book buddies. Is that an accessible thing to call people? Sure, we'll roll with it. Welcome back, book buds. It's time to fill up a glass and flip open a book. It's Reading Glasses Book Club O'Clock. We're back again. It's me, Jamie Clare, with my best buddy, Travis Farner, for another episode of the Reading Glasses Book Club. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing great. Howdy, listeners. Thanks for joining in. What are we reading this week, my friend? We are reading A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. Specifically, this episode, we'll be talking about pages 204 through 300. Before we talk about the book a little bit, what are we drinking today, Jamie? Today, we're cracking into a couple of White Claws, just like our friend Andy and Bex on their romantic little date night at the end of this section. Just drinking a couple White Claw surges, blood orange flavor. Yeah, these are not just ominous. These are not just any White Claws. We got the surges because this reading is heating up. There is so much going on at this section of the book, Jamie. I can't wait to talk (laughs) about it. There's so much going on. The book is intense, so our drinks had to be equally intense for this episode. So as we sit back, sip a couple of these white cloth surges. You want to give us a quick little recap about what happened in this in these few chapters? Sure, I'd love to. In this section of the reading, we see that April and Maya are still on the run. Maya actually ends up uh, being shot, but April is able to heal her with her new crystal hands. Maya is introduced to Carl, uh, and they both learn a little bit of backstory um, um, regarding Carl. Um, specifically, they learn that Carl has a big, bad, older brother. Uh-oh. Carl, you know, initially found out about the existence of this big, bad, older brother when uh, April almost died. Um, long story short, um, this older brother um, has a different plan of how they foresee saving humanity. And essentially, they came into the picture when they thought that Carl wasn't doing a good enough job. And when it looked like humanity's probability of existing, you know, dropped below a certain percentage. Essentially, Carl was like, F you, I'm disregarding what you have to say. Uh, And he is devising a plan to defeat the older brother. All that they have to do is bring humanity's probability of, 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 you know, survival to greater than 50%. And then theoretically, the big bad brother will go away. What's the key of how they're going to do that? Destroying Altus. So we see that the gang actually all comes back together and they begin to kind of concoct a little bit of a plan of how to bring down Altus. A lot of that is going to rely on Andy infiltrating his way in through becoming a big content creator from Altus. I think eventually Miranda is going to play a big role in this as well. We see that, you know, Miranda is diving in deeper, learning more intel about the um, Altus space. She tries to communicate a little bit with the gang through some nice MacGyvering of some mm-hmm. hydrogen-filled <laughs> condoms to send her... Don't act like you've uh, never communicated through hydrogen condoms before, Travis. I loved that scene so much. <laughs> Um, but eventually, right, we see that Miranda is kind of taken away. She's given a promotion to work in the high security portion. Promoted of to prison. Altus, but she really thinks this is just to kind of keep her from exposing anything even further. She's given some kind of more intel about how the the Altus space works, um, where information is stored. Um, and, and more specifically, right, she's able to learn that Alta Coin 
is being mined by the human mind. Specifically, Altus is using um, kind of the native folks that live on the island where this is located. There's a whole bunch to dive into in this reading. A lot. Where should we start, Jamie? We should start at... Where should we start? We should start at the, the thing that made me laugh the most in this section, which was very... It's towards the end, as Andy's trying to ensure he gets access to Altus Space Premium by being in the top 50. And he finds out that the leader of the thread is either Justin Bieber or is impersonating Justin Bieber. That was hilarious. Do you Incredible. think it's actually Justin Bieber? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. I wonder if one from the thread is either just really good friends with the Biebs or was somehow able to like hack that account to yeah. post that. That makes that's my assumption is that he was just hacking the account. But how funny would that be if one is actually Justin Bieber? Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> I mean, we got all sorts of pop stars popping up throughout this book and through song lyrics and such. Yeah. So why can't the leader of the thread be Justin Bieber? I love it. He's the secret behind <laughs> the the takeover of the culture consciousness. <laughs> He's the key to saving society. Just a sweet little Canadian boy. Should we talk a little bit about Andy, and if we think he's kind of falling under the spell of the Altus space, we see that he is really invested in, you know, not only becoming a creator, but I mean, he really, really, really enjoys this so much that, I mean, he's able to, you know, have Bex stay over for the first night ever, right? And then he immediately has to get back onto the Altus space. I mean, he's hooked and he in his conversation with the rest of the gang, seems a little hesitant about trying to destroy something he loves so much. What are your thoughts on this, Jamie? Yeah, I think it's terrifying to see firsthand like how big of an impact this whole Altus space thing is going to have on the entirety of humanity. If Andy is already so obsessed with it, then all the other millions and millions of people that are currently using the early stage of Altus space are probably equally as obsessed. And what was surprising to me was how Andy is now just like mimicking all of the worst qualities of April mm. from the first book, where he she got so obsessive over the over her followers and over having this persona, this public persona. And now he's getting equally as obsessive over this private life where no one knows who he is. He doesn't have any contact with anybody, but he's still so obsessive over it that he's willing to ruin his relationships the same way that April did, even though he saw firsthand right. April ruining every single one of her relationships and that it killed her. Right. That's a good point. So I was I was very surprised to see how quickly the downfall of Andy came about with the presence of Altus Space. Right. It's ominous. Lot to, yeah. And I hope that he's not going to further kind of betray any of his relationships or the goal, right? That this friend group is is so strongly working for. I think towards the beginning of this book and the reading, I was worried about Miranda kind of yeah. falling under the, you know, the having the cloak pulled over her eyes, so to speak, and being wowed. I'm not really worried about Miranda anymore at all. I am worried about Andy. Yeah, me too. And thank goodness that Miranda didn't go into Altus space. Like she just went in the one time for her orientation and then she has avoided it the whole time. So it's very possible that it would have drawn her in the same way that it got Andy. 
Well, she has gone in a second time. True. Remember when, you know, PP brings her to the kind of top secret area? Yeah. And she's able to experience the Altus space premium, which I've got to admit, absolutely blew my mind. Like, I could never think to come up with this particular concept. I mean, there's kind of two premises of what the Altus space premium is. One option is that you can kind of like, Im, not embody someone else's body, but you can kind of mind, so Ooh. to speak, their mind. I've got to create new words to describe <laughs> what's going on. Embody their mind. <laughs> in the Altus space premium. So Miranda gives this example, right, of being able to be in the mind of someone who's an expert at linear algebra. And she's able to have her consciousness, but also experience the consciousness, so to speak, of the great thinker in this, you know, linear algebra setting. And that sounds absolutely incredible for yeah. learning. It would put me out of a job, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> Alta Space is going to put a lot of people out of jobs. So eh. is it going to create some jobs, though? We see that, you know, the local people of It'll the create... island are being employed and well taken care yeah. of. Yeah. Crypto at... miners. <laughs> um, yeah, that is some dystopian it is stuff right extremely there. dystopian and fascinating ideas to talk about. So I'm excited to discuss some of the weird philosophical conundrums we have going on here. I had two main questions for you based on Altus Space Premium. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's called or does it have a different name that I forgot about? I believe it's called Premium. Altus Prime. Altus Premium. Altus Plus. <laughs> the AP. Whatever Alt you want to refer yeah, to it we, as. We know what it is. So um, speaking of minding somebody, to steal your word, that gives us the ability to communicate without language, which is a fascinating idea because communication through language always has some level of misinterpretation between the thoughts that I'm having, how I'm able to convey them, and then you interpreting my words into right. to forming your own thoughts. Right. So now with this... Altus Premium, we can just do away with language altogether, and you can now understand my thoughts perfectly, which in one instance, you know, is useful, allows for perfect communication, allows for lack of misunderstandings, but it also kind of takes away from the beauty of the world. Right. Like language is beautiful in its abstractness. You can describe things in unique ways and different people will take away different things from reading those words, which is kind of a beautiful aspect of humanity mm -hmm. as we can talk about leaving things open to interpretation and individuals kind of grasping their own meaning from a set of words. Yeah. So we can talk about Carl's whole stuff a little bit later, probably. But I thought that was interesting to be utilitarian in allowing communication to be better, but also taking away from something beautiful in the world. Right. One of the things that I thought about with this particular setting was you know, you, you bring to light this idea of, is this going to do away with language to some extent? My kind of thought was, is this just going to create one large human consciousness that everyone has contributed to a small amount, kind of like in the dream, right? Yeah. We learned that all dreamers helped to create the, the dream, right? Are we just going to have one large human consciousness now as a result of Altus Premium? Then what does it mean to be human? Or is it just going to be those top 50 humans oh. that get to create? Right? <laughs> the, the richest humans get to be the ones who describe the world. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's an interesting it, thought. Like, is that what humanity is going to become? Is just a, a single mind that everybody kind of taps into? 
Right. That's a scary world to live in. I think there's a lot of ways that this can obviously be foreshadowing some doom and gloom in how uh, inequitable and how, uh, what's the right word? Just disastrous in general, <laughs> I think this could potentially become. Yeah, it doesn't seem good. And I think, so my second question for you. Oh. Based on I don't even know if I answered your first question. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't really ask a question. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just said things. Um, What's your second point slash my, question? My second point slash question, uh, again, has to do with Miranda's experience in Altus Premium. Uh, Hank Green pulls directly from The Giver for this section. Have you read The Giver? I have not. It's a a nice little dystopian book. I think it came out in like the 90s or something. Uh, when I was a kid, they made us read it in school. So I just assumed it was the most popular book that's ever been written because everyone I knew had read it. Well, you got to remember, I got that South Carolina education. Oh, that's true. <laughs> this book did have more than three words, so <laughs> you probably didn't see it. Um, but it's a really good book about a dystopian world in which everyone's lives are like perfectly controlled and orderly and they've taken away like people can't even see colors anymore people have no like really experience of of anything everything's just dull fully dulled down and everyone does their job goes home does their job goes home but there's the giver who is the keeper of memories and has all the knowledge of all of human history in his mind and the book follows the apprentice to the giver who is acquiring all these memories and going from this world where everything is black and white and dull to experiencing what the world used to be like. And one of the first memories that he experiences is sledding down a snowy hill, mm. which is exactly what Miranda gets in her first sandbox experience. She goes and sleds down a hill. She feels the cold breeze of snow on her face. She feels the excitement of going down this hill. And I think what Hank Green is, is doing here is warning of, warning us like, hey, mm. this whole Altus space thing is leading us down a path where humanity kind of stops to be, stops being humans experiencing things for themselves. Mm. Everyone will forget what it was ever like to live their own life. They will just trap themselves within these virtual reality lives and humanity will kind of fade away as the only thing people will ever experience from now on is Altus Premium. Wow. So you think that this scene kind of paralleling what's present in The Giver is a little bit of just foreshadowing this doom and gloom of what to kind of look out for along the way. Yeah, I think mm. he's emphasizing a dystopian future gotcha. of people ignoring real life. Yeah, essentially. Great, great analysis. I wish I would have read that book now. You still can. I still can. It still exists. And now when I read The Giver, I'm going to say, oh, this author looks like <laughs> they're paralleling what Hank Green did. Yeah. What Hank Green wrote about 30 years later. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that was a very interesting little section of the book uh, that Miranda was going through. Um, uh, what else was happening with Miranda in this section? Should we talk a little bit about? So she does the whole thing with the uh, hydrogen condoms. Incredible. So crafty. I loved the sneakiness, the ingenuity, the MacGyver-iness to go through this entire process to think through all of this. She's Incredible a genius. Scene. Yes, I was really loving every moment of that. 
Also, I think just this just really shows how dumb I am because my thought initially when she was describing this process is I thought she was going to let go of the balloons and the phone so and she's going to get like one text sent out and that was it. That's what I thought too. But obviously <laughs> Miranda's infinitely smarter than me and connected it right with the string to this shit back in. Here I am being so dumb. I was like, that one text, she didn't want to say anything else. This is it. The one text. (laughs) Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought she was just going to like send the phone off and it was going to land back on the island, like a different part of town or something. Right. Um, But now that I'm thinking back, did the text really help with anything? So I guess she got the information across it there in Valverde as opposed to Puerto Rico, but it seems like most of the other information that she was trying to get out had already been right public knowledge. Uh, Miranda just didn't know it was public knowledge. So did all of her efforts help very much? At that moment in that text or two texts or whatever she sent out, I don't think it really gave the rest of the gang any insightful info. Miranda herself gained some info from those texts. We see that she's kind of given a cryptic message, so to speak, from Maya about her dress. But really, April's the only one who would have known that information. So Miranda interprets that text as April is alive. And yeah. it gives her, you know, an absolute range of emotions um, in, in in trying to, to think through that. Yeah. Another, I mean, a clever way for April to let Miranda know that she's alive in secret code. But also another situation of April just being the worst. Why would you have your ex-girlfriend write a secret code about the time that you boned this other chick? Hey, uh, dress, drastic times call for drastic measures, I suppose. I guess so. Classic April. Even when half her brain doesn't work correctly, <laughs> she's still just a bad person. But I've really enjoyed um, getting back to the April and Maya relationship here. I knew you wanted to talk about this. I mentioned this last week, how excited I was, and it's living up to it. It's very interesting going through this whole thing. Uh, at the very end, we get the apology from April. Right. But even leading up to it, we get some really interesting parts, uh, especially the scene in which April calls her parents mm-hmm. to let them know that she's alive. And we get Maya again, who is constantly just like this beautiful shining light in everybody's lives telling them exactly what they need to hear, advising people on the best course of action. He's like, hey, you fucked up. You caused a lot of pain to your parents, but hey, you got to suck it up and call them right now. Mm -hmm. It's going to be terrible. You're going to feel sad about it, but you need to do it. Mm -hmm. What did you think of April's apology? At the very end? Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. I think she, you know. I think she has learned a little bit. She has learned a little bit. Unfortunately, I'm I'm trying to find the apology right now in my book. Unfortunately, right before the apology, she pulled another classic April and ignored Maya, ignored Maya when they were discussing, like they're planning everything out. They're like, all right, we have $150 million. We have somebody on the inside at Altus. We have somebody on the inside at Threads and I have superpowers and just ignores the fact that Maya's Mm. there holding the whole team together. Right. Another brutal. Brutal. So rough, man. Right. Why can't someone just be nice to Maya? Right. It's lame. But the apology was nice. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about the apology? I thought it was pretty sincere. I thought it showed that April has learned a little bit. Um, I think one of the things that I was 
wondering a little bit about is do you think whenever Carl kind of suppressed April's emotions, do you think that was helpful for April to like bring her to this position where she's able to live with a feeling and not act on impulse, but maybe just have some better decision-making skills when feeling certain emotions. That's one thing that I was pondering a little bit. I wonder if that limitation on her emotions for a small amount of time was helpful for her growth as a character. Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I had kind of been thinking about it the opposite way of like this dampening of her emotions mm -hmm. was just feeding into how she was already behaving because mm -hmm. she had been actively suppressing her own emotions and acting mm. the opposite way that she should act in most mm. situations. Okay. So, but I think you make a very good point that her negative emotions are also getting dampened now. Right, right, right. So yeah, maybe I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I hadn't thought about it from your perspective. <gasps> See how we got different. We need to mind our melds together. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> you want to in mind my mind? I would love nothing more than to. <laughs> <laughs> to mind your mind. I think you would be surprised at how much I feel like I don't think about anything. I would know so many bird facts. You would know a lot of bird facts. <laughs> I could recognize every bird on the East Coast. Yeah, man. I'm, I would be enriching your life. Oh, my God. What would I learn about if I minded your mind? Um, Just a lot of, shoot, I don't know. What do I think about? <laughs> <laughs> Now I don't even know what I what's in my own mind. Probably just a lot of existential, mm. uh, philosophical meandering. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of philosophical meandering have you been doing when reading this book? Oh. What other kind of philosophical questions should we discuss? What a great segue, Travis. You should host a podcast with those sorts of segue skills. I do. Or you should ride a two-wheeled powered vehicle with those sorts of segue skills. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on a segue, but I would love to go sometime. You can mind my mind and experience what it's like. I want that sandbox adventure. <laughs> I want to go on a Segway tour of like, I don't know. Madrid. BC. <laughs> I literally could drive there, but why would I do that when I can get on my virtual reality headset yeah, and do it? You can do it from the comfort of your own wooden floor. That's right. <laughs> in your boxers, just in like your Andy. boxers, <laughs> while Bex is asleep right next to you. What were you, um, you going to say before we got completely back derailed? To the philosophical. It's these surges, these blood orange surges. They're hitting. They are uh, taking us away from our philosophical ponderings, <laughs> but leading us to a world of delight. They're quite tasty. Um, you want to sponsor us? Oh yeah, White Claw Surge. <laughs> We will shotgun one before every episode if you <laughs> if you sponsor us. Just throwing that out there. We're going to change the name of the podcast to The Reading Cans of Surge. Are we? <laughs> reading Glasses and Drinking Club. <laughs> the, the and White Claw Drinking Club. The Reading Club. Glasses White Claw Club. There we go. That really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> what philosophical <laughs> issues can anyway, we talk about before we keep derailing? So... The big, huge philosophical topic that we have to discuss, which is the main point of this book, seemingly, is the fight between Carl and Carl's Jr. <laughs> Incredible. I love this. Yes, I love this phrasing. Is, wait, so is Carl's Jr. the brother? The evil brother? Well, we don't know. We'll, if he's, we'll we shouldn't him, even use that phrasing. We'll call him Hardy's. Okay. Yeah. Carl, okay. <laughs> Carl and Hardy's. All right. Um, the 
fascinating philosophical debate, right? which is near and dear to my heart, Travis, because once again, Hank Green reaching out to us through these books. Here's a little spoiler alert for the listeners of the Reading Glasses Book Club. I am trying to write a book unsuccessfully, but I'm trying. But I've been, if I ever do write the book, one of the main themes is going to be very similar to this one that Carl and Hardy's are are going back and forth about of kind of uh, a free will versus fully controlling all of humanity. And Carl wants to allow humans to exist in their creative uh, world where they have influence on their environment. And sure, they make mistakes, but beauty comes out of it. And then Hardy's comes along and he says, well, they failed. They're doomed to extermination unless I step in and control everything. Every action that every single person takes controlled by me. That's the best course of action. Right. And I think that's a very interesting um, conundrum to philosophize about of what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have free will? And is that the best way for a world to exist? If everyone's out here making their own choices, making mistakes, possibly leading to extinction, or is Hardy's correct in this argument and his version of the world is better? What are your thoughts? Well, that was about 18 questions wrapped into <laughs> one, I guess. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, we could we could sit here and ask the question, right, does free will exist? And that's a question worth pondering. I think it was interesting the way you kind of phrased the latter half of of your, you know, um, ramblings, ramblings, right? That's the word. I, that's the word I was looking Drunken for. Drunken ramblings, <laughs> surge powered ramblings, surge fueled uh, TM. <laughs> Um, where you said, is it a better, I forget your exact phrasing, but you kind of said like, is it a better world, right? Where yeah. we have free will to quote unquote screw up, or is it a better world where our actions are determined or controlled for some goal of not destroying ourselves? Um, and that is a question I do not have the answer to. Of course, I think every human if they don't believe in free will, they at least kind of accept the fact that we feel as if we were free, right? You yep. know, and that's at least something to all comment, I think, and ag agree upon to some extent. I think many people would be inclined to say they would want to live in a world where they're free to choose their choices and actions to make. I think the reality is that even if we don't have free will, we all acknowledge that some, if not most of our choices are heavily influenced, even if they're not completely controlled or determined, they're very strongly influenced. I think I kind of like to think about it in like the probabilistic sense, right, that Carl talks about, right? He runs simulations and he says, oh, you know, I could tell you what humanity is going to look like with decent, fairly accuracy, right, for the next few years. But next few decades, oh, that's a whole completely different story, right? And so, you know, I think we've got some amount of free will, but we've got some amount of things being determined, right, and um, controlled upon us, right? I think we all want to have more free will, but also if we can set up good systems and structures that are influencing our decisions, that's a good thing. Yeah. I think we just happen to also have bad systems and structures that are 
influencing us negatively. That's certainly true. So I don't know if those surge-powered ramblings (laughs) (laughs) commented on your question at all. They absolutely Um, did. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And what do you think would happen if, let's say, Hardy's is... A, a benevolent ruler, mm-hmm. right? Right. What if he sets up his world? Well, he does want to kill April, but it's all, I guess, supposedly for some greater good. It's for right? the greater good. And so let's just let's just say that Hardy's plan is to set up a world where everyone does enjoy their lives. Like, right. he, what if he's able to eliminate suffering? But if you're not choosing it, are you still enjoying it? That's, I don't know. That's what the do- question. I think that's. That's What's the, the question. point of going through a life where you just got to go through the motions, but you're not actually participating, or I guess you could be participating, but you're not actually willing anything and you're not causing anything, right? What's the point? Yeah. It just, I mean, that basically is being in the Altus premium space. You're just going to embody, or sorry, in mind someone <laughs> else's consciousness, right? I mean, that if you had no free will, that's kind of what you're doing. You're just a passenger in some body and mind through your deterministic future. That's not, I get, I mean, I, I guess that could be fun. Maybe that's what I'm doing right now. I don't know, but that Maybe. doesn't seem as fun or enjoyable as being in control and being able to make decisions. But what if you don't know that you're not in control? What if for the vast population of Earth right now, they in fantasy Earth <laughs> in this book, they don't know anything about they Carl. Have, they have no or idea Hardy's. how much they're being controlled. So they if we're again going down the path that Hardy's wins, he gets what he wants. Um the rest of the population of Earth, they have no idea about this whole situation. I never knew it came. All of a sudden, yeah. their lives are just more enjoyable. Yeah. Suffering is down. Enjoyment is up. Is that a worse world to live in? What do you think? I don't know. I think it's it's just a very interesting thing. That I've, I've spent way too much time over the past few months thinking about this exact question of what is the point of living in that world? Right. As like objectively, it is a, it is a better experience objectively where people live happy lives with no suffering but subjectively is it worse because you don't have that agency you can't input is there even a subjective experience though that's a good question too and then how does your knowledge of this external control affect your opinion of the world these are some great Surge-fueled questions. Thanks for turning into the surge-fueled Tune in ramblings. next week for more <laughs> surge-fueled questions. Uh, but don't don't go away yet because we got a lot more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are some great questions, and I'm excited to see. You know, maybe we get a little bit more kind of tug of war at these ideas and these conflicting kind of philosophical notions. And you know, maybe Hank Green kind of has a stance, right, as the book progresses, and maybe we get. But we let's keep those questions rolling along in the back of our head. I mean, obviously, to some extent, there's no definitive clear-cut answer in any of these philosophical questions, but maybe some other aspects come to light that kind of change how we're thinking about it initially. Yeah, I think Hank Green's really good at introducing a lot of different perspectives into some of these questions. Right. Um, and uh, if we go away from this philosophical stuff a little bit and just towards Altus as a whole, mm. like he's really good at introducing so many different aspects of the world and people's lives 
into something like Altus, where he brings up uh, economic issues right. and like global economic issues, class inequality, and how that like advanced capitalism kind of takes over this situation. Mm-hmm. He also brings into account the kind of appeal of something like this to individuals that we see through Andy right. getting absolutely dragged into the Altus world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to just maybe elaborate in a few more examples, right? We, we've seen how, um, you know, there's a commentary about, oh, you know, in a perfectly free market, everyone can contribute and everyone can benefit. But oftentimes just the people who have access to capital, right, are able to jump in real quick and just jump to the top, as we've seen with these kind of Altus creators, right? To get yeah. access to the premium space. If you have a billion dollars, you just, you can win whenever you want. Exactly, right. We've seen commentary, right? and you know, bringing up these ideas, right, to the reader a little bit where, you know, um, Miranda's kind of almost like held hostage, right, by her workplace. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, she literally physically is held hostage. But, you know, I think that kind of brings a little bit of a parallel, right, of um, not current day people literally being held in the in a prison at a work, although I guess that is happening to some extent. <laughs> but I was thinking a little bit about, you know, like, not being able to share your personal life with your employer, right, for, you know, fear of something bad happening, right? Like, that's something that a lot of people experience. Yeah. There's all kind. Of, there's so many different things that Hank Green is bringing up that introduce question and a new way of thinking about that um, that's been really enjoyable. Yeah, I, I agree. And... Another aspect of that is kind of on like the social issues things that the whole first book was a lot about social issues mm-hmm. and social media and fame, popularity, fame and money. the divide that exists in this world and like politics especially and social issues. People are extremely divided. And there's an interesting quote that I have here from page 225. When Maya and April are hanging out in the boiler room of the mm-hmm. high school, they're talking about how messed up the world is and maya says you're supposed to believe all the same things as your friends and your allies these days everything is a battle and so you can't give any credibility to your opponent's views even when you do understand where your opponents are coming from you're not supposed to say so Mm. which is i mean that's entirely what was happening with april in the first book right that's what happens a lot in the real world in the first book, you mean with between April and PP? April and PP, right? In the first book, and in the real world, just people are so divided politically and on social issues that right. you pick a stance, and you that is that is you, mm-hmm. and you know neighboring social issues. If you have one opinion about one, boom, you, you automatically, automatically have another right. one. Anyone who disagrees with you about one social issue disagrees with you about every social issue, mm-hmm. and it's a terrible way to live and maya again says that she hates this situation and she always felt like the defenders had one thing right um Mm. the carls felt threatening to her Mm -hmm. but she was never able to admit that right and we see in this kind of section of reading she's still very you know sketched out is probably not the right phrasing but she's still very hesitant about carl I mean, to some extent, he's embodying monkey. But I think she's hesitant about his decision-making. She's hesitant about his um, paths forward that he's trying to create. She's still not on board. She is still skeptical of of the Carls. Would you agree? Yeah, she definitely is. And I think she has reason to be. 
Yeah. Um, like what gives Carl, like who's to say that Carl actually knows right. best. Right. I, I, I find myself rooting for April and I find myself believing that Carl is good, but I think a lot of the book is written kind of from that perspective. I mean, Carl has done good things. He hasn't explicitly done anything bad. Except turning that but, dude to grape jelly. But he well, saved April's life. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Uh, oh, speaking of turning things to grape jelly, we find out in these chapters specifically what Carl needed those initial elements for. Oh, God. The iodine, the americium, and the uranium. Right. Which I'll leave this to you as you are no, a professor no, of chemistry. No, 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 Travis no, no. Varner, you are a professor of chemistry. I need you to explain to me <laughs> why iodine allows him to infect people's brains. Americium lets him, what was it, spread between organisms? Here, and yeah, why I'll... uranium allows him to change matter <laughs> at will. I explicitly <laughs> told Jamie before the podcast to not bring this up because I knew he was going to put this on me. Because you're a <laughs> professor of chemistry, Travis. Jamie, you also have a PhD in chemistry. Yeah, but I'm not, I don't teach people about it. And I want you to teach me about this. No. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've got the quote from the book. Yeah, iodine to catalyze a change in your minds, americium to let me move my body in space, uranium to uh, uranium to allow me to alter chemical structures instantly. It's very what? very vague. <laughs> um also, I mean, technically, right, a lot of different elements could be used to do a lot of these different things. Also, right, to let my let me move my body in space. What does that even mean? I don't know. I guess this is where we have to lean on the fact that this is a science fiction book. Right. I I don't know if I don't know how much there is to learn from that particular <laughs> um um set of of elements there. If you are another PhD chemist and would write to write like to write in or if you're a recreational chemist, yeah, or a Right in. A biologist, maybe, for the iodine thing. Like, that seems maybe like there's some sort of iodine is helpful for, you know, passing the blood-brain barrier or something like that. Right. Americium, no, no idea at all. Uranium, it decays radioactively, right? Which so does it, alter other it chemical structures. Alters chemical. It you know becomes a different element spontaneously. I don't know, it's science fiction. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but we did finally get some answers to the question we've been asking since. Did we get chapter answers? five of book number one? Did we get answers or did we just get more questions? We got unsatisfactory answers. There we go. <laughs> unsatisfactory answers. That's the title of this podcast. I've got a question for you, Jamie. Bring it on. Um, which hopefully you have a satisfactory answer for me. Um, one thing I would like to talk a little bit about is Big Brett, Big Bad Brother Carl. That's how I've been referring to him in my notes, but we're just going to refer to him as Hardy's, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So we're aware at this point in the reading that Hardy's is kind of behind the fish reality game that is causing a lot of its players to do lots of sketchy things, including trying to assassinate April again. Um, is it possible, though, that Hardy's is behind PP's growth and fame and the building of Altus? I guess specifically what I mean is that we find out that it's Carl, not April, but it's Carl who's involved in writing all these books of good times and kind of getting our gang that we're used to seeing into motion to, to kind of get 
plan going. Is it possible that Artie's is using his own kind of book of good times or book of bad times, whatever you want to call it? Is it possible <laughs> that he's using a similar strategy to kind of coerce PP into building all of this, all of this new company? Um, I think one of the things that makes me consider this, and I know we've talked about this offline a little bit, uh, but I think one thing that makes me consider this a little bit is that prior to to this book, right, PP was completely against the Carl's messing with our brains through the dream. And now all of a sudden he's building this like multi-billion dollar company that's just using that infrastructure that the Carl's had to mess with our brains. So is he kind of just purely motivated from the capitalistic sense? Um, and is there some help from Hardee's that is enabling this to take place? That's, I think that's kind of my big question. What do you think, Jamie? I think that's very likely that Hardee's is influence, influencing PP the same way that Carl has been influencing all the good guys, um, especially because PP was just like a low-level reporter, right? Right when he start before the Carl showed up, I think that was his job. He was just like a reporter, kind of journalist, or a journalist yeah. or something. And then he wrote a book, and then he just you know started going anti-Carl and and grew fame that way. Um, and now he's the CEO of the biggest company in the entire world doing advanced technological research which of course he's not the one doing the research but right. to have set up this whole thing over the course of six months it seems like he's gonna need a little bit of help mm -hmm. and our friend pp can't do that by himself i agree with you so I I think I think you're absolutely onto something there that Hardee's has been giving him some little hints, giving him some helpers along the way. That's I think that's our leading hypothesis here at the RGBC Reading Glasses <laughs> Book Club podcast. Feel free to start throwing that around with your friends. Yeah, feel free to get it tattooed on your chest if you want to show that you're a real fan. That's right. If you get it <laughs> tattooed, we will personally autograph a surge for you and send it to you. Damn right. Send us a picture of your Reading Glasses Book Club <laughs> tattoos, and we'll send you White Claws. That's a great trade. I think so, too. <laughs> I have a second question for you, Jamie. Bring it on. And it's revolving around this idea of trying to take down Altus. One thing that we learn in this section of the reading is that all of the dreamers contributed to the making of the actual kind of dream space. Right. The Carls had, you know, um, created this link or kind of the infrastructure, but the dreamers are the ones who put it into um, into place. Right. We see we saw in book one that April is the only person who saw the moving plane or any kind of moving oh, object yeah. in the dream. Do you think that that ability of April having something unique in the dream is going to become important with April having some unique ability to do something specific in the Alta space that is necessary to take it down? I think you are onto something there, buddy. That's a great question. I have no idea what that is, but that's something that I've been thinking about a little bit. That's a, yeah, I hadn't thought about that at all. That's fascinating. Yeah. April's got a little bit of something extra and now especially she has something extra because she's a cyborg got all this new knowledge so what happens when like april's mind is essentially mm. part carl right 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 so what happens when carl goes into the altus space can he unwrite the code from within something like that or do we have to destroy carl 
to destroy the <gasps> Altus space. Oh, and because like, we can't live with this technology. Yeah. And so since Carl has already like infected every living cell on Earth. To get rid of it, we gotta get rid of Carl. Do we need to cut the cord from every single cell? Sever the ties from both Carl and Hardy's. No idea. Travis, you're onto some stuff. This is over all here. You conjecture. got some you got some good little theories coming out of your surge fueled mind over there. Surge powered theories. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think I thought that because I was so hung up on our previous reading. I really thought there was something to the few individuals who could not access the Altus space. Yeah. And we see that discussed slightly a little bit more in this reading. Yeah, Peanut tries but, to do it again and he fails. And he can't, he can't get in. Maybe that still becomes important, but I begin to think a little bit more, right, about once we learned that the Altus space is based off the same infrastructure as the dream, I was like, oh, well, what was unique back to the dream? And April was the only person, right, that saw that moving object, the plane. So just been, yeah, it's just been rolling around. I have no idea how that's going to come together, um, but I like the additional commentary that you've provided. It just really brings up more questions. Yeah, but lots of questions. This is good. I think I think we're on. I, I think, think we're onto something. If we, we were in the game, I think we'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Hire us, Andy. You've got 150 million dollars. That's right. Give me one of them. Give Travis how many you want? Five million. Sure. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come work for you. Yeah, I I think you're definitely onto something. That's also a good point, which I think we talked about last week about Peanut or whichever one of is Peanut. Peanut can't get into the Alta space. So then, what happens? As the world moves more towards right. everyone being in the altar space all the time, what happens? They're just left out. To the people. And the fact that we were reminded of this again, right. that Hank Green put Peanut into this situation for a second time and showed us he's still not able. I think you're definitely onto something that something of importance is going to happen based on the fact that some people are unable to get into the Alta space. Yeah. They're going to become somehow the relevant. lowest class of citizens. Mm, okay, sure. Right, in, right, right. If, if Hardy's gets his way, these people automatically become the lowest class. If if not, I don't know. Um, It's it's fascinating. What do yeah. you think is, what do you, what's going on? What do you think is the importance of Peanut right now? Why does Hank keep showing us how Peanut can't get into the Altus space? Yeah, I really don't know. I, I keep coming back to somehow maybe that'll be important with bringing it down, with tearing down the Altus space. Oh, another Because they good can't idea. be, they can't be, I don't want to say infected, but they don't interface with the hold that the Altus space could hold on everyone. And maybe there's something unique there. Um, that will help with bringing it down. That's what I keep thinking about. Um, and I like the different angle that you keep thinking about, right? It projects how um, certain pieces of technology, right, being not accessible to all of society can create have lots of downstream effects. Um, yeah, I, I don't think about that aspect very much. I think I'm really grappled in by the storyline. <laughs> Sometimes to see well, too I, much of the commentary. I think you're on to something with this storyline because now... I think I, I really like the story or I really like the, the new idea I have with is April going to be critical towards bringing it down as opposed to just the people who can't access the Altus space. I like that idea and I'm excited to see if that yeah. comes to fruition. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying? I was just going to commend you on your great ideas because I, I think they're both fantastic ideas. Well, those are my only ideas, so thank you. <laughs> well, crack open another surge and give me some more ideas. Either April has 
some sort of uh, impact in the Alta space because half of her mind is Carl mm-hmm. or Peanut holds the key and will be able to decipher whatever is preventing Peanut from getting into the Alta space. And then they can replicate that across everybody. And everyone else. And cut off everybody's access to the Because if no one can access the Alta space. Problem solved. Humanity wins. That is a very good idea. Very good conjecture. I think we figured it out. We're doing so good on this pod. We need more surges every week. Hank Green, you wrote us a bunch of puzzles that we could not solve. You gave us a bunch of chemistry word problems that we could not solve, but we got this one. We solved the finale of the book. It's going to be completely different. I just know it. (laughs) Probably. Um, You know what I would consider our attempts at predicting the future of this book? If it's as good as our ability to predict and understand chemistry, we're off to a great start. Well, I would just say that attempting to predict the ending of this book is a beautifully foolish endeavor. Oh, That's right. (laughs) Damn. When you drop the name of the book (laughs) in the podcast. That's so good. That's right. Um, This book is crazy. My mind has been blown so many times. Every time I read a new part, there's so many parts at this section of reading um, that I was just, wow, I didn't even think about this idea at all. You know, when we're introduced to Hardy's, when they are describing what's going on in Altus Space Premium, when uh, Miranda learns that they are mining their cryptocurrency with the human mind and they're, you know, extracting out um, the labor from these natives, right? There's so many points in this reading where my mind has been blown because of the different commentaries and the creativity that's being shown in here. Yeah. It's it's really enjoyable, and I hope we have a, a few more of those moments as we're kind of a little over halfway through. Yeah. We've got maybe, what, 200 pages left? 150, something? About 150 pages left. Um, I, I can't wait. I've This book is crazy just compared to the first book which was Mm -hmm. i mean we really enjoyed it it was very interesting and brought up a lot of fascinating topics a really cool exploration of april may's personal life and how her personal life was changed by these events and then this book just explodes in scope and scale where it's now the entire world is right. at stake and we have all these different characters that again I'm, i like having these different perspectives to get chapters from april from maya from miranda andy and carl of course i love the carl chapters so much it gives me such i feel like kind of an outsider view right because he's non-human or they're non-human it gives us that unique perspective and i'm loving the carl chapters yeah it's it's fascinating i man i'm digging it i'm really really liking this book i do have a question for you i feel like we're kind of ramping down here but sure. I have one yeah. last question which Let's is a weird kind of specific question but just talking about how hank green is writing these chapters from different characters perspectives did you ever notice it feeling weird about his choice of point of view character in certain chapters. There was one instance that I'm thinking of specifically, which was the chapter in which April apologizes to her parents. That chapter was written from Maya's perspective, which I thought was a very strange 
choice, mm-hmm. maybe, to have that intensely emotional moment for April to be written from Maya's perspective instead of actually getting to see how April was feeling about that. Did you, I guess, pick up on the fact that Maya was the point of view for that moment? No, I really didn't. Do you think uh, it was, I... what do you think Hank Green was trying to do with that choice? I don't know. I don't know if there was anything. So I, one thing I should say is that I did not pick up on that being odd or anything like that. When that whole scene occurred where they're kind of speaking with their parents, I was like, oh, yeah, they should probably do that. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> because call. they haven't been such because the parents haven't been such uh, critical characters up until this point, I didn't give it a ton of thought. Um, yeah, like you, I am enjoying the different perspectives, but I hadn't thought about that instance as being odd or standing out or having some underlying meaning. Do you have any propositions? I mean, it sounds like it, I don't know if rubbed you the wrong way is the right word, but it sounded like it threw you off a little bit. It, that, it stood out to me for yeah. sure. And I, I don't know if I have any like hard guesses as to why he did that. Yeah. We could maybe use the abstraction of language to guess his intention of maybe he's trying to further emphasize April's distant or April's kind of like dulled down emotional state. Right. To not show her, although I think it would have been more impactful to hear from her perspective what it was like emotionally to call her parents. So maybe that's not right, but maybe he's trying to emphasize how empathetic Maya is. And to see from Maya's perspective, her ability to know the right course of action for April to take. And I think and Maya encouraged her, her, right? To she did. All yeah. her parents as well. So maybe that's why it was more fitting to for it to be in the Maya chapter. Yeah. I don't Not know. Sure. I just thought it was interesting. Um, we'll see how things progress over the next section. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about in this section? We've been we've been surging it up for <laughs> about an hour now, so it might be time to call it unless you've got some more stuff to surge about. I have no other comments. <laughs> <laughs> this was a great, great conversation, Travis. This was so much fun. Excited to see where the book goes. Um, should we fill in our readers on the next little bit of reading? I think we'll be reading from pages uh, 301 to page 400. 399. Yeah, through four, 399. Yep. Through 399. So if you would like to follow along, um, that is your homework for, for next week. <laughs> um, we look forward for you tuning back in. As always, write to us, find us on the socials. Um, Text us, because I know most of the listeners know who we are. Uh, <laughs> not for long, though. And we're gonna be we're gonna be on Threads soon. That's right. We're gonna be uh, or on the Thread. I mean, right? With Andy, you can call me number twenty eight and Travis number twenty seven. And you can also find us at all times in the Dream Space. Always at the Arby's. Always and yeah, connect with us. We have heard um, some wonderful people have reached out to us. They've been reading the first book, an absolutely remarkable thing. Catching up with the podcast, reading that book, and it's been so great to hear everybody's reading this book that they had never heard of before, which is very fun. Give us a review. So give us a review. Let us know if you're reading these books and how you're liking them. And tune in next week for pages. 302-ish to page 
$3.99. I can't wait. Also, let us know what you're drinking while you're reading. True. We haven't talked about that at all, but let us know if you've got a preferred beverage while you read or if you've got your own ideas for what you would have liked us to drink, you oh. know, while we were doing a certain section. True. We would love to, to, to hear about that. Yeah. Or if you have a book suggestion. Tell us anything. Also, if you, have, my mom listened to the first episode and she said that our outro went on way too long, <laughs> which is what we're currently doing. I think that is a common theme with wrapping up the podcast is we go way too long. So let's just speed run. We got 10 seconds to say everything you need. Sorry, mom. I love you. <laughs> Support your local library. Go read a book and please read responsibly. Bye. <laughs>